You're listening to the Freshly Baked Crackers Podcast. Freshly Baked Crackers. With your hosts, Josh Guster and Ian Maxwell. Here is the soup. (laughs) Intergalactic soup, This is the Freshly Baked Crackers Podcast. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's Josh. And Ian. And we are back. Episode two, season two. Yeah. And it's Star Wars Day. It is. May the fourth be with you. May the fucking fourth be with you. Um, which I just realized as we're saying this, that uh, that Mandalorian documentary thing came out. So, Oh, yeah. And uh, the finale for Clone Wars. Yes. I knew, yeah, the Clone Wars finale. Also. Early so, today. Yeah. So good stuff uh, today. Anyway, um, we are back and back already with a new guest. So yeah. um, we're just going to dive right into it. So without further ado, adieu, adieu, adieu. I went way too French on that. Um, uh, without any more delay. Uh, <laughs> no more pussing about. Ladies and gentlemen, comedian, musician, uh, renaissance man. Multi-hyphenated. Uh, um, yeah, multi, a multi-hyphenated man. Uh, Mr. Sam Rhodes. Hello. Hey. Welcome, Sam. Pleasure to be here, guys. Yes, yes. On, on this, the, the day where a corporation has managed to convince us all to celebrate their IP <laughs> by making it a national holiday. It's good, isn't it? It's not Absolutely. Mother's Day yet. It's not Mother's Day yet. Yeah. So yes. People I can't... talk about Valentine's Day being like a hallmark celebration, but May yeah. the 4th is amazing. I'm very, very <laughs> impressed with their ability to make everybody go, ah, it's a We Love Star Wars Day. <laughs> can't wait till we start having like a uh, Breaking Bad Saturday. Where Actually, I'm down for that. <laughs> we need to. We need to. We need to do this to more IPs. There need to be more. We need to start basing more of our holidays on stuff like that. You know, like we need to have uh, instead of. I mean, who really celebrates besides little kids Easter? We could replace Easter right. with Marvel Day. Old yeah, president's birthdays. Yeah, the we president's celebrate. birthdays. We can get rid of all the president's birthdays and have Tony Stark's birthday. That would be yeah. way cooler. Well, for Easter, we could just do the death of Superman, couldn't we? The death of the <sighs> Superman. Oh, I and like then that. Fucking genius. Yes. <laughs> that yeah, is DC great. On the phone. Let's let them know. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start doing that. I'm going to start putting, like, instead of, like, some people, I don't know how uh, insane people in the UK are, Sam, but here, you know, people will, will put, like, crosses up in their front yards and stuff like that you know not not racist burning crosses i mean like easter crosses right, right. but I, I would like to do like the uh, cover with like the tattered superman cape yeah that's it, yeah the flag on the pole yeah <laughs> yeah, yeah. Hank, do that for easter every year for death of superman yeah everyone starts wearing black shirts with white superman logos on them yeah and then for the week before the rebirth you all has to dress up as like steel or superboy <laughs> yes <laughs> This is this is something that I feel like with the help of Reddit we could get implemented into pop culture pretty easily. Yeah, for sure. Oh wow, (laughs) wow! From good for oh yeah, this is this is this off 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 air. We will uh we'll we'll sit this down because I feel like this is this is something that we should copyright in some way or somehow. Yeah, don't want anybody out there to steal this. This Yeah, (laughs) this is something that we need. The three of us need to be making the money off of this. That's right. So Sam is uh is a british comedian he is he is uh from uh, uh uh and speaking of that we were wondering if we could come back ian and i were just wondering if you could talk to parliament or anybody if we could just <laughs> <laughs> yeah 
I'd, I'd be happy to repatriate any Americans who are upset with the current state of things over there. Excellent. Um, yeah. We've been talking seriously about that. Just like maybe starting a colony over here, just buying some land and just recolonizing. Turn, turn, just backtracking a little yeah. bit. Yeah, that's it. Re, re-pledge your allegiance to the queen. It'll be fine. I'm sure she'll be cool with it. Sure. I mean, I can get into mushy peas. Yeah. <laughs> Not a big deal. I'm a fish and chips guy all day. Yeah, I'm, oh, we're, it, yeah. we're from the Midwest. We eat a lot of fried fish here too. You know I mean? We can, and French fries. We can deal with it. I can change the name of it. That's not a big deal for me. <laughs> oh, boy. So, yeah. So, as everyone can uh, uh, guess, this is going to be a very serious episode today. We're going to be talking a lot about Brexit. and uh, We finally but, get political. <laughs> yes, today's the day. Um, we're going to talk about all sorts of stuff like the tube. And yeah. uh, I'm just trying to think of other British things. No. Um, so, Sam, uh, when did you, you, you are, you're a comedian, you are, yeah. uh, uh, but you are a multifaceted dude. When I, we, we joked at the beginning kind of about that, but you really do, you really have your fingers in a lot of different things. You're a, I mean, you're an incredibly talented musician. Absolutely. You are, uh, and I mean, you do a lot of stuff. So if you... Start us off. Tell us uh, how this all began for you, or, or, or you know, what what led you down this path of uh, of uh, saying funny stuff to people. Well, I've always uh, I've always sort of considered myself a bit of a a bit of a sort of artistic odd jobs man. Is the idea? So I like, like anything, that. Anything needs doing, I could do it. Um, I was a drummer to start with as a teenager, but I soon realised, of course, you can't write songs if you're the drummer. Right. And yeah. I, I just kind of looked at who was the most needed member of a band and it was usually the bass player so i learned the bass and then i was nice. like i still can't really write songs just as a drummer and a bassist so i had to learn guitar on top of that and then um i studied i actually studied at the royal college i'm actually oh. a royal college trained jazz drummer is oh, wow. my, my awesome. real uh, my real background but um ian write the, that down we're putting that in the episode description Yes. Uh, yeah. Man of papers. Is, I was the oddest person at the Royal College because I was like a metal drummer. And I tried out, I tried out not as a joke, but I tried out thinking there's absolutely no way I'm going to get onto these courses with these guys and ended up doing it. So it's it really weird. I studied sort of composition and jazz there. And then after that, once again, I've, I've always been like, who needs what? Who needs what? So uh, production was a big thing, you know, and there was a real growth of like sort of home producers getting a bit of work. Right. So my pitch was always, oh, not only can I record it, I can play it all. I can sing it all, you know, hire me instead of a band. You know, yeah. <laughs> I was basically a horrendous, undercutting, horrible person. And I would just steal all the work <laughs> from people. <laughs> That's and great. I did that, you know, I did that for a good couple of years. But um, as I'm sure many people are well aware, the, the money in the music industry has kind of disappeared away, you know, like, mm. uh, especially in drumming, you know, like good session drumming used to be worth quite a lot of money. And nowadays, it kind of isn't. Right. Um, and after I did one of my last jobs for the BBC, writing some music for them, uh, they, they offered me this other job. And when I worked out how long it was going to take for how much money they were offering, it would have been, you know, it would have been better for me to work in like Sainsbury's or Asda than to do this. So, you know, it was almost right. like minimum wage pay. Oof. But because I've never had a proper job, really, I've always just survived on my wits. So I went, right, what else can I do on my own? And I got into comedy pretty much because I'm not serious enough to be a singer songwriter. You know? <laughs> right. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> And uh, I was awful when I started. I just found some videos recently of me doing some of my first stand-up comedy shows. And my God, it's 
it's a good thing I was confident is all I could say because <laughs> I had all the confidence and none of the skill to start with you know I was absolutely terrible <laughs> Well, a lot of comedians do say that. I mean, you know, the only way to get good, like, as, like Joe Rogan says, you just have to go out there and eat dick a lot. Yeah. Oh, you know, totally. Least, yeah. You learn I mean, more I, from bombing. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And the thing is, because I, you know, because I am self-employed and I've always run all my own stuff, I didn't do a, the very traditional route of like playing lots and lots and lots of five-minute open mic bringers. Right. I, I just straight away set up my own shows where I was the MC, and kind of branded myself. You broke um, the rules. I did. Of course I broke the rules. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like the people who actually succeed are usually the ones who break the rules. <laughs> yeah, no, that's absolutely true. Fucking you don't deal with the horse shit. Yeah, you just make your own way. Well, yeah, because I, I saw all this stuff that says, oh, you've got to do 10,000 hours of five minute open spots that are all bringers. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to put my girlfriend at the time through that. You know, that's just <laughs> no, so fucking you. atrocious. Yeah. And because of my years playing music, none of my friends had come see me do stand-up. You know, I dragged them to every pub and club in London to watch me play in bands for years. So, um, yeah, I just went, you know, like very much like the music industry. Good bands make their own albums, don't they? You know, and they book their own tours early on. But I was looking at comedy and these comedians, they, none of them were booking tours. None of them were recording specials, you know. Right. And I thought, you know, with, with modern technology, it's much, much easier to record a comedy special than it is to record a band's album, you know. <laughs> yeah, you're just one dude. Exactly, you know. And, yeah. you know, you, there's usually some outlay. You have to pay a couple of cameramen or call in a load of favors. But, right. you know, um, anyone can do it. And my first comedy special got aired on the BBC in the middle of the night. And to be honest, compared to what I've been making recently, I'm, you know, it's not it's not great, but <laughs> but I was booked over guys who'd got more experience because I could say, hey, here's my comedy special. Whereas you got the it other guys were going, hey, here's a video of me doing five minutes in a dingy room. You yeah. Know? Right, right. <laughs> Absolutely. You went in with the production and everything. You, yeah. You had yeah, the product. I, I, think, I, I think it's, well, I think it's an important thing for more people to realize. I think especially comedians are waiting around for some manager to come and bless mm. them and go, right, now you get to be a touring comedian you know yeah but when it's just you under your own steam if you've got the time and you've kind of got a bit of belief in yourself you can you can actually do it all yourself you know yeah no need for gatekeepers if you just walk around the fucking gate you know <laughs> exactly that's yeah and that was that was kind of my approach you know yeah. I, I, it's quite funny because i've there's a lot i mean london the scene here is amazing people literally travel from all over the world uh right. and i think there are 500 guys better than me you know, in my, in South London, there's some really, really good comedians. But I just think, you know, this sort of chutzpah and sort of a bit of self-belief and selling yourself is what they're lacking a little bit, you know? Yeah. And they're all doing these beautiful Edinburgh runs and writing these amazing wordy shows, which are just something, you know, really, really, really good. But then they just don't ever do the, you know, they don't ever do the, the outside bit of it. Right. You know, but... I think I've always been, as I said, I've been a, I've been having to learn how to self-promote since I was like 18. And I think to some of the other guys, they just haven't had that experience as much, you know? Yeah, no, I agree. Especially like jumping into the comedy scene and stuff. You're told so much you have to follow such a strict way to do it. It has to be this way. Yeah. So most Definitely. people don't have the guts to just be like, well, I guess I can. You already had that, uh, that momentum. So well, that's it. I, don't, I think that's what's so funny about it. People read books and go and do comedy courses and the comedy course say, right. 
you know, here is how you become a comedian. It's A, B, C, D, E, and if you do this exactly. But if you read or listen to anyone who does it for a job, not a single one of them has the same career path. You know? Right. Um, right. So this idea that, oh, this is how you do it is, is wrong. And the thing is, as well, a lot of the, the model is based on how people broke in in the 90s. And mm. we, live in, we live in 2020 now. You know, the internet is so much more important, you know. Yeah, back then it was about getting on the Tonight Show or getting a spot on Letterman or then, yeah. getting, then getting a sitcom. And, exactly. And now that's, that's just not how comedy works, at least over here anymore. No, no well, I mean, especially all. now. You know, and, you know, you can be a podcaster, you can be a mm -hmm. YouTube star, you can do everything. I mean, one of the best pieces of advice I was ever given by a, a band manager years ago, he's like, if people see your face or your product enough, it doesn't matter where they've seen it, but they'll recognize you. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. so I do something which is a little bit cheeky, but if I'm ever doing a post online, especially if I'm looking for comedians to play my shows, there's always a picture of me on the post. And we've got a couple of these big forums like the comedy collective forums in england and whenever i post i'm looking for comedians on there which until covid19 was like every day <laughs> for booking shows you know i would put a picture of me on the stage or a picture of one of my press shots on the photo and then when i travel in england people go ah sam rhodes yeah they know brand me. recognition they don't know where they know me from right <laughs> But their brain goes, oh, I've seen this guy a lot. He must be important. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Subliminal saturation, message. man. It's about yeah. saturation. Absolutely. Yeah. Get it out there. Get, make sure you're recognizable. Make sure that they, you're always in their heads. That's it, yeah. The branding was a big thing as well. Yeah. Like I really set up a little brand early on. Um, and everything is the Sam Rhodes comedy explosion. So, <laughs> you know, the special was called that. And the first special was called that. And all of my booking and all of my promotion is all through that. And it, you know, it just, it just means people go, Oh, it's that thing. You know? Yeah. Yeah. They got something to, to touch base to something they can connect with. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, so who, who were your guys? I mean, being uh, a young British man coming up, who were, who were the guys that like, who, who got, oh. who get, who got, who'd you get the funny from? where did you, oh. uh, uh, I'm sure you guys like you, you're knowledgeable guys. You guys know the mighty Bush. Oh, yeah. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, I used to go and watch Noel Fielding um, before the Boosh had their TV show. And, like, nice. uh, uh, Noel Fielding was actually at college with uh, my high school girlfriend's band were <laughs> in a band with Noel Fielding before he was uh, Noel Fielding the comedian. And I used, to go and watch, I used to go and watch him do a lot of his sort of earlier, very, very weird stand-up. This is way before I was even a comedian myself. Um, <laughs> I've got a very embarrassing story about Noel Fielding, actually. <laughs> Let's hear it. Dish, yeah. <laughs> In the early days of the Boosh, just as they were having their first TV series, Noel was still doing a lot of uh, work-in-progress style shows, little club shows. Um, and I wouldn't say we were friends, but because I was at a lot of the shows, it was kind of a, like, he'd see me and I'd see him and we'd go, oh, hello. <laughs> so um, my brother at the time was too young to come to the shows, but was a massive fan. So he sent me with the CD of their radio show and he was like, oh, can you get Noel to sign that for me? I said, yeah, can do. So he goes in, I go, all right, Noel, it's not for me, it's for my brother. You know, he's too young to come to the show. He went, oh, yeah, of course, all right, I'll sign it up. So he turns around, he bends over and he starts signing this CD. And as he does, this woman comes up behind him and grabs his ass with both hands and then kind of dissipates into the crowd. <laughs> so, 
So we've got Noel Fielding bent over a table and me, I'm a big hairy dude, I'm behind him. <laughs> and he just turns around and look at me with a, with a face of absolute fear because he thought I'd grabbed his ass. And I was like, oh no, it wasn't me. <laughs> and then for ages afterwards, he just kind of would walk in a much wider circle away from me. <laughs> Oh, I love that in his mind you got brought this CD and set this yeah, it was a whole setup. Yeah. Just because you've been dying to grab his ass the whole time. It's been like, how do I grab his ass with I'll bring a CD. He'll have to bend over to sign it at a table. It. Perfect crime. Yeah. I had some oh, real man. nice conversations with Julian Barrett in the early days as well about jazz fusion. We sat in a pub and talked about Rush for about <laughs> 45 Whoa. minutes at one That's point. Great. That was nice. Yeah. So those guys, a huge fan of those guys. Um, there's another British duo called Vic and Bob. I don't know if you hmm. guys got them over there. I don't uh, think so. If you're Mighty Boosh fans, they're well worth looking up. They're just two, they're two best Bob. friends, Vic and Bob. Yeah, they had a show called Shooting Stars. And uh, it was like a quiz show that was not really a quiz show at all. It was just absolutely bonkers. Ooh. And they used to delight in having American guests on it and just really winding them up and not telling them what it was going to be about. <laughs> Oh, that's fun. <laughs> really good. And it's just so, I mean, it's Monty Python times 10. It's so odd. You know, it's not. Right. They don't really do traditional joke format at all. <laughs> they do things where they have giant balloons for heads or they hit each other with frying pans or, you know, they've got a little horse for a mustache, things like this. <laughs> Excellent. Love that weird stuff. Yeah. So I was always, I was always much more into the weird stuff, but. American-wise, I'm a huge Seinfeld fan. It doesn't really come across in my nice in my uh, in my material as much. But Seinfeld's one of my all-time favorites. I love him. I like the I idea do. of you with your British accent up there, just being like, you know, like doing just straight up doing <laughs> Seinfeld. What what feel? Food. Yeah, it's becoming like an odd thing. In both of my specials, I made a joke about Seinfeld and. Um, I've actually kind of worked on my Seinfeld impression a little bit, so I do. <laughs> what do you got? Let's let's hear it. <clears throat> what is the deal with chalk? You use it to draw on the ground, and then they just it just washes away. And <laughs> I do a bit in my life. Well, I did do a bit in my live show at the moment where I'd say, "Say a topic," and I'll do a Seinfeld joke about it. <laughs> Now, why is it so much easier for British people to drop their accent and be American than it is for like, like Andrew Lincoln, you know, like people like it's, it's so much there's it's when we do British accents, we sound like cartoon characters, like we sound <laughs> completely ridiculous. Well, the thing that I always say to people about it, which is really funny, is there is no British accent for one, which is really right, right, true. You know? And America has these huge areas where you get thousands upon thousands of people with that accent. But you know, my I'm from South London, and my accent is different to someone from North London, and that's an hour's drive away. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so the thing that's so odd about the so-called British accent is that there's so many regional differences and the guys, the Americans who do the, the accent well pick where they're from and then they learn to do it. So Johnny Depp, for example, is, is someone who does really good British accents because he's not just doing like, Oh, I'm from England. <laughs> right. Right. He goes, I'm from a small town in Buckinghamshire. So how would <laughs> I speak if I was like that? You know, whereas um, for Brits, we're just inundated with American media yeah. from the day we're born we hear it all day every day songs tv shows comedy 
so uh, so we have it you know and um when i was out in the states if i felt like fucking with people um because people occasionally came up to me and sort of said like oh your accent's not real this is like a <laughs> character this is like pretend and i'd go you know what you're right you caught me i'm just sick of i'm sick of keeping up the pretense now man i just do it to sleep with me you know? i'm just trying to i'm just trying to get laid here just leave me be you know <laughs> No one wants oh. to sleep with a hairy American dude, but they'll have sex with a British guy. So don't tell anyone. <laughs> That's incredible. That's amazing. If I, if I went over to the UK and started doing that to people and was like, actually, I'm a British guy. I, I won't even as a joke right now start doing a British <laughs> accent because I know how ridiculous it'll sound. <laughs> like Dick Van Dyke. Oh, oh man, yeah. He's in, the, he's in the Hall of Fame for all time worst <laughs> British accents. <laughs> No, the, um, the famous oh, chimney sweep as yeah. oh, yes. <laughs> the district of chimney sweeps. That's it, the chimney sweep from nowhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's trying to do like a Cockney thing, but he's not. He, I mean, it's so far off, it's hilarious. Heather, I think it was Heather Graham. She's She's got one of the worst. Her in uh, From Hell. My God. Oh, yeah, terrible, that's rough. Oh, oh I forgot about that movie. So rough, yeah. Yeah. The, the worst oh, thing about that one in particular is every supporting character is a really renowned British actor. <laughs> <laughs> and then here she is up on stage like a fucking marionette. Yeah. They blew their budget, I guess, on uh, on who they had in the pack. So yeah, I, really gotta get, I gotta get an American in, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's it. You know, they hired, as I said, they hired like every great British character actor to be in that movie and then put Heather Graham as the lead female actor. And you're just like, what is this? <laughs> that's yeah oh man terrible so yeah. during this lockdown you have been doing some really interesting stuff uh you have been recording these eps and you are on your third ep yeah um but like so they're they're different every one of them's a different style of music a different genre of music if you would you're doing all of it yeah and <laughs> so so speak on that a little bit because i've found it to be so, uh, so far i've heard your grindcore album yeah. And I've heard the the psych the sixty psych pop. Um, yeah. I, I mean, where did this where did this come from? And I don't understand as I'm also a musician. I'm not as nearly accomplished a musician as you are, but but to speak on what we were talking about earlier, it is a lot about hustle because like I know so many people who are much better than I am that don't play as many shows as mm. I do. Yeah. And they and and ask me, how do you get these gigs? Like, how do you like? And like, I'm like, dude, you're way better a musician than I'm. How are you not getting these gigs? Like, you know, just <laughs> call them. I don't know. You can talk to somebody. <laughs> just yeah. ask. Though they're not, they're not gonna they're not gonna come over and take your guitars away if you if they say no. Like, the worst they're gonna do is say no. Oh shit, they might. Um, but anyway, I do. I don't understand how you like. It's it's such an incredible talent to be able to write a grindcore ep and then all of a sudden be like you know what i want to i want to make some like licorice fucking psych 60 psych pop here and and like and and all of it plays like and none of it comes off as like it's not cheesy and it's pretty yeah. fucking good man like how how did this all happen how did, where does this what's what the what are you what is in your diet that's doing this or <laughs> the bangers and mash is that what's yeah going on? that's it i mean i'm from the midwest we eat so much sausage over here i feel and mashed potatoes <laughs> do you have any idea how much potatoes and sausage we eat here that's i've got it. a You're freezer full magical sausage to give you yeah <laughs> oh i feel like we have a movie idea here there you go Get adam sandler on board be yes that. adam sandler's first film for Pornhub. 
a man <laughs> on a search for sausage. <laughs> no, I, I, I've done, um, I still, I still do the occasional music job is basically the short answer. Um, I got a job writing some pop songs for this Russian YouTube conglomerate in the past couple of months. So I've been writing a lot of um, joke pop songs for kids. Um, and it's really nice because it's not a style that I enjoy myself, but I had to learn to sort of mimic it. Mm. So while I had time to myself, I thought, oh, you know, like I used to play in a lot of heavy metal bands. You know, I really like 60s psych stuff. Um, so what I do is I kind of imagine I am the band. <laughs> I set myself a nice little clear, clearly defined sort of thing. So the grindcore one was two guitarists, a drummer and a singer, you know, uh, okay. so there's nothing except that so there's not even bass on that one just because there's no point recording the bass for heavy metal because you can't hear it anyway <laughs> so true. just mix it out it doesn't matter um and then it was it was basically because you know when i get commissioned work i don't get to i don't get to do the the styles that i like you know and i got right. quite good at doing a, an impersonation of like i wrote a, a spoof um spoof Billie Eilish single which has had nearly a million views on the three different platforms it's been released on you know so I was like okay cool I could probably do this so I thought while I had the downtime I'd set myself these little challenges as if they'd been commissioned work like so you've got to write 20 minutes worth of death metal um and then you know the 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 60s one I I thought right it's 1968 I laid out what keyboards my band well my band has (laughs) You know, so he had an organ and a and a Mellotron and uh, one very simple early sort of Moog. And then I, I wrote the music as if it was written for the band to play, basically. So it was guitar, keys, bass, drums and vocal. And then sticking to these little sort of uh, limitations I'd given myself, it was quite easy to write the stuff, you know. Um, most of the songs for that, were based on a song or a style of song that I particularly like. So I was listening to a lot of Pink Floyd, a lot of Kinks. I adore the Kinks. And I thought, okay, so if this band had come out in 1968, they want to break into the pop world. They've been listening to the Kinks. What would they write? You know? Love it. (laughs) And it was really fun. It was really, really fun. The one I'm doing at the moment is an 80s new wave one, which is... It's basically Devo, if I'm being honest. It's probably got got the smallest sort of influence to it you know i'm just making a, a new devo album because there's no new devo albums anymore and that one's going to be called isocube <laughs> of course it is of course it's, it's so going to be called isocube yes. what else would you call it yeah so oh. Oh, yeah i've got i've got two two songs finished for that one already uh the third one's rattling around in my brain at the moment so yeah. the, the 60s uh psych pop album is what uh, I would say 80% of Americans think all British music sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> they like, like that's what when like they don't have no idea for the most part that that things have progressed. <laughs> yeah, that, that there's all sorts of uh, interesting musicians. Like if you threw something like Dizzy Rascal or The Streets at them, they would they would, they would be lost. They'd be like they would be lost. <laughs> I think there's something so beautiful about those late 60s, early 70s British albums because the the themes on those are so positive and they're written in a very mm-hmm. major yeah. key all the time. Yeah. And like all American rock music from that period is very like heavy, quite it's political. Downer, yeah. Yep. You know, mm-hmm. uh, it's got 
I mean, it's great. It's absolutely great. Oh, yeah. it's, it's so different, you know, and all of the boys who wrote all that 60s, late 60s stuff, they're all really posh public school boys. Uh, <laughs> right? Our public school is the expensive school in England, by the way. It's okay. the other way around oh. for some reason. Yeah. <laughs> so, we just have to be different, I guess. Is that yeah, it? that's it. But yeah, the, the posh, all the posh boys wrote all the late 60s, early 70s stuff. So it's very sort of, it's their world. It's very pastoral. It's, you know, rolling fields and cups yeah. of tea in the No afternoon. worries, yeah. No. Um, it's not like, oh, you know, it's not great political upheaval. They lived in Oxford, you know. That's so <laughs> right. right. You know, so I really love that very twee late 60s thing, you yeah. know. I love like Genesis did an album called Selling England by the Pound in the early 70s, which is a very, very British album about <laughs> living in living in a field in Yorkshire. <laughs> nice. I, I really like it. I think it's gorgeous stuff, you know. Oh, that early the early Genesis stuff is really great. Lamb Lies Down yeah. on Broadway and Oh, I love it. Oh um, yeah. I love that kind of stuff. Even the first Small two... side fat side note, when Genesis was inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, they uh decided not to perform and instead really? instead fish performed for him came out and genesis <laughs> wow. songs and inducted him yeah i'm yeah. gonna have to look that up i bet that's wicked yeah, yeah that's right really good it is it, it, yeah they do uh talk to me they and i can't think of what they all do they do like three or four songs um nice. yeah it's it's uh yeah no i'm all about that early genesis that's my that's my genesis really I, yeah. I adore that stuff I used to play in like a prog rock covers band and we used to do Dance in a Volcano and most of Supper's Ready. We didn't do the whole thing because it's 20 minutes. You haven't got time to do the whole thing. <laughs> right. But we do like selected, um, selected moments. You nice. know, it's good. Mm. And you need, you need new bands to play that stuff because they haven't performed any of that stuff in right. years and years and years, you know. Right, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's something, I mean, we look at it like a, it doesn't have to be a, 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 a something that was stuck in a moment in time like we can people can still make those sounds yeah people absolutely. can still that, that stuff like that doesn't have to die well and yeah. shit isn't really being made like that anymore it's like we can still it can still be new feeling to new listeners you know exactly. if people are still making fucking country music then we can then we can bring <laughs> other stuff back too yes. yeah it's kind of fascinating because if you think about like real classical music you know obviously you can't go near mozart play as piano anymore so you have to have other people play it yeah. Right. You know, and people get very annoyed about covers bands or whatever, but there's there's a couple of covers bands who are playing main stages at large British festivals now. You know, right. you've got like the bootleg Beatles, the I think they're called the Australian Pink Floyd Experience. Oh, they're oh, awesome. Nice. I've seen yeah. Australian Pink Floyd. They're great. Yeah, and they you know, they play all this stuff because obviously you can't see the original band play it now. Right. People really want to hear it still. So I think best of luck to them, you know. People... Yeah, it's how you keep it alive, you know. That's... Exactly, yeah. And, and as you said, you get young people into it mm -hmm. because they then don't see it as some dusty record their dad has. They exactly. See it, they see it on a big main stage with proper legitimate modern bands, you know. Mm -hmm. in, the, in the jam band scene, obviously, the Grateful Dead are the kings and the, you know, the top of the heap. But those yeah. guys, and they play, obviously, they play as Dead & Company with, mm -hmm. with John Mayer now. But, like, they are getting old and, like, they, they can't keep up like they used to and there's a there's a band called joe russo's almost dead that yeah. are as they're almost as and that's just like the most talented musicians from new york city playing dead songs and it's tremendous it's tremendous it's so good to, it's it's like these songs being played the best they could be played yeah mm -hmm. 
I think it's great. And like, you know, I, I, I kind of, I'm, I just really love that, that, <clears throat> that young people get into it. I mean, one of the things I think is really fascinating as well with, with stuff like Spotify, mm. um, I find that younger kids don't even know what era some songs are from. You know, mm-hmm. if they're yeah. like listening to a mix, right? you know, a stylistic mix of music on Spotify or a playlist mm-hmm. and this stuff pops up, they just go, oh, that's cool, you know. Yep. I, I was teaching music still until about four or five years ago. I just had a couple of private students. And the amount of them that would turn up at the age of 12 and they'd be like, oh, I love Guns N' Roses and System of a Down. And I'm like, <laughs> don't you like any bands, you know, any new bands? And they're like, no. <laughs> I just like, you know, I like this stuff from the 80s and 90s. But my kids, got- my oldest is four, and he picks all of his music up from, like, movies. He doesn't know what it is. Yeah. And, like, mm-hmm. he's, he's, so I make him a Spotify playlist of all this stuff that he gets into. And it's, like, it goes through, and it's, like, kitty music. And then all of a sudden, it's got Queen, you know? And, like, because <laughs> right. like, Don't Stop Me Now is in Sonic the Hedgehog. Yeah. So he freaking <laughs> so he loves, loves that it, song. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Well, that's exactly it. And, like computer games as well you know they've commissioned yeah. a load of stuff especially those uh, grand theft auto games you know, oh yeah the, the radios in that are really brilliant oh and yeah and once again it's you get then get a load of young people who are associating that sound with something they really enjoy yeah absolutely than, mm-hmm. and it's so odd like because if you've got kids and you go right you're going to listen to this they go oh that's dad's music i don't <laughs> like that but <laughs> but if they sort of discover it on their own through something they like they're gonna love it you know it's their music first then yeah that's exactly it and that's the hard thing you know and then you can say oh guess what i've liked this band for years so that's good news you know but uh yeah yeah i had that moment with my my oldest i've my oldest has a star wars room he doesn't like he's never watched star wars he has (laughs) he has there's hundreds of dollars of funko pops and things in his room it's all me and like i tried to (laughs) and i tried to push and like for a long time like you like superheroes don't you and it's like man he just he's three he doesn't even he doesn't he just likes mickey mouse right now he doesn't even he doesn't get he's still figuring out shapes yeah, and colors he doesn't want to watch far from home with you dad okay it's he, it's, <laughs> he wants to watch word party all right it's, and then all of a sudden spider-man homecoming came out and i saw it in theaters and i loved it and i had it and i bought it the day it came out and i've watched it and but he's but then all of a sudden one day i was watching it and he sat there with me and all of a sudden shit clicked And all of a sudden, he freaking loves superheroes. And since it's Spider-Man Homecoming, all of a sudden, he loves hip hop music now too. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. So the when that when that scene when the needle hits the record and Biggie starts playing, that kid gets down. I'm like, yes, they, okay, <laughs> things are gonna be all right. We're gonna have things we can share. You're, gonna, you You're love, on the right track. Yeah, you yeah. love Spider Man yeah. and the Notorious B.I.G. We're gonna be good. <laughs> yeah, I think it's great, man. I really do. I mean, I. I didn't really have uh, people in my life who were interested in the stuff I'm interested in, which is mm. what's really, really interesting about it. Like, I wish I had a dad or someone close nearby who liked that sort of thing. I'm a real odd person in my family. I'm the only one who's got any interest in like art or drama or music, you know. Oh, it's crazy. So a lot of the stuff I found, I found through movies I'd watch accidentally mm. in the middle of the night or maybe a school friend would have something, you know, or they had a dad or an uncle who was into stuff, you know. So um, I remember like Wayne's World was such a huge influence on me, like unbelievably so. I, I, I watched Wayne's World and I was like, it really said to me, oh, like adults don't have to be boring and right. have short hair and have a job adults can be fun and still have fun with their friends and like cool things 
And for years, before I'd even really heard heavy metal music, I thought of it as like, oh, it's that cool film music that I like. <laughs> it's in cool films that right. I like. Yeah. Right. And when I finally actually got some heavy metal albums of my own, I was like, oh my God, I, I, I genuinely was like, it was like some secret that I discovered. <laughs> you know, you could actually go to the shop and buy this stuff. It doesn't just live in cool American films that I like, you know. It exists, yeah. It exists, yeah. There's actually bands who make this stuff separate from movies. <laughs> <laughs> and it was my life ambition as a, as a young boy to be Wayne from Wayne's World. And I think I've pretty much managed it. You Failed know. it. Nice. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're yeah. doing a damn good job. <laughs> that was it. And it no, was... I I can totally identify with that girl. I grew up in, you know, small town. You know, you've been to my hometown. Even though I lived in St. Louis for eight or almost eight years and but i've lived most of my life here and like growing up here there was no exposure to anything mm. and no one and like so when i was 15 clerks came out and reservoir dogs and i saw both those movies and i had this local video store that had a clipboard up by the counter and you could write movies in and they would get them for you so i took all the movies that were trailers before those two movies yeah and wrote them down and they get those <laughs> and i'd go get those videotape videos and watch them and then write those trailers down and that's how i figured out <laughs> independent film like i had no way to get and this guy was just like where are you coming up with these movies i'm like 15 year old kid riding my bike up to the movie store being like do you know can you get me amores peros <laughs> that's awesome man that's really cool there's something beautiful about that discovery you know which yeah. i think is a bit lost in the online age you know i mean i I still yeah. collect records and I try not to buy them online if i can help it like i really love to try and keep that going to a record store and actually yeah, the treasure it. hunt yeah yeah i that's one of the things i enjoy so much about that particular hobby you know right if you can just order it off the internet the the joy is gone you know yeah you know and yeah, I, will... I like the idea because when you go to a record store or back in the day when it was you know in the 90s when i was going to buy cds you didn't necessarily go in there knowing what you were going to buy yeah that's exactly right you yeah. just knew you wanted to get some new music and you were going to go through the stacks and you were going to find something and like yeah. you don't you don't get that whenever you're you just i'm going to go buy this album off amazon or whatever yeah. it is spotify that's... shows it to you automatically yeah right. yeah but there's there, there was something of a risk as well because i remember getting my mm. like pocket money or my money from delivering newspapers and go into the CD shop or the record shop and then, but then being relatively very expensive, you know, mm -hmm. and I had to stand in there and go, right. Okay. There's three here. I've heard the names of these <laughs> bands, which one's got the coolest album cover. Right. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like a really big choice to go, okay, I'm going to get this one today. <laughs> you know, and I think you can tell that by the fact that no one puts much, effort into their album covers anymore oh they, for sure back then they knew that like if this is cool enough we might get more people picking this shit up off the shelves it was yeah. like yeah i mean people bought asia albums back in the day simply because yeah. those album covers were cool exactly. they, they, they were like this is going to be really epic look at yeah. this it's like a dragon eating a pyramid yeah. and then they're like <laughs> oh it's just really boring pop rock <laughs> yeah god damn it this was a bad <laughs> fucking chance Oh no! Why is it? Why does the cover look like that? Why is there? I thought this was metal of some this kind. Not what is yeah. yeah, they look like iced earth covers. Yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and you get it home, and it's the heat of the moment. <laughs> oh, but man. as a, as a kid, like you know, I was a. a 
a kid in small town Illinois going to the CD store and I listened to a lot of hip hop music, I didn't have anybody to tell me what to buy. Like if it wasn't a video on MTV and I'd be in there like, okay, like what CD looks cool. Like this one looks like it's very violent. I'm sure yeah. it's probably going to be entertaining. Yeah. These guys all look like they're dressed up like gang members and stuff. And they, they wrote the album title in blood. I bet it's probably good. I'll pick yeah. that up. Same with me with death metal. That was very much my buying. That was how I got into it. You know, I was yeah. like, okay, yeah, this looks really disgusting. Perfect. Yeah. It's brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. This album cover is making me feel ill as I stand here in the store looking at it. I'm definitely spending the 17. Oh, that, that's my six months with Cannibal Corpse. Yeah, that's... Uh... <laughs> I got I got into Deicide because I learned what the name meant. It means killing royal family members, and I've never been a great royalist. So I was right. like, "Oh yeah, cool, it's perfect." It, or like killing, yeah, it's like killing a god or a royal family member or something. I think is what Deicide is, and I was like, "That's cool." I've All never right. been I've never been big into them, and now I'm going to try them. I'm going to give them another shot simply because of what their name is. Yeah. What it's about. yeah, like oh yeah, okay, eat the rich. Sure, I'm cool. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah that's, that's, that's perfect. I, I, I loved it. And their first album is brilliant because it's really like, I love Deicide because they're so silly. Like the, <laughs> the lead singer of Deicide burnt an inverted cross into his forehead. Excellent. And he used to do all this stuff where he would like turn up to shows and he would mutilate like the corpses of animals, but you know, like butchered animals, like a pig or something. Yeah. And he would just do it to get a load of attention. And he'd like, he'd, he'd go on stage and shout like, Oh, Peter, kill me come and get me come on look what i'm doing <laughs> and then of course in all the music press they'd be like this guy's mad he's trying to start fights with all the animal rights people <laughs> and whenever he'd do an interview in his early 20s he'd go oh yeah i'm gonna kill myself at 33 because that's the age jesus died and i'll have done everything i need to do <laughs> and it's so funny because i used to think oh this guy's crazy and he's so cool <laughs> and then i read an interview with him last year and of course now he's about 45 years old <laughs> And this, in, this interview was just like, what do you do at the weekend? He's like, well, I love spending time with the kids. You know, I'm really into picking the kids up from school. <laughs> and I'm like, it's love it. so funny because it was all just a big, you know, it was all just a big act. Yeah, it's just a show, <laughs> yeah. People up and sell records. I think it's great. Alice Cooper coaches a little league team, you know? It's like, yeah, it's all yeah. just makeup. <laughs> I like the idea that of that guy in full regalia going into the butcher shop and being like what do you have fresh right now like i'm gonna need to mutilate something on stage today what's what's what looks good back there today what's juicy yeah nice oh, big carcasses yeah please. we got we got a couple uh small suckling pigs back here i'll take a, yeah i'll take one of those what's that a pound yeah it's it's so fun man because it's like i've said it for years but like no one thinks no one thinks people who make horror movies are satanists and right. right it's one of the most ridiculous things in the world that people think musicians do it and especially most heavy metal musicians are the nerdiest people you're ever going to meet yeah, you know for sure they haven't got time for worshiping satan because they spend all day running their scales you know <laughs> making sure they can do their uh, their sweet picking properly you know that takes a lot of time and practice absolutely <laughs> they're at home creating rolling new D, &D characters yeah exactly yeah <laughs> you know. uh, now i will say that there are a lot of uh rappers that shoot people there there That's are some true. yeah there are some people that are living the uh and you get to Norway, you get those Norwegian death metal bands. They'll burn a church down. Yeah, they're not, they're not above burning a church down. Oof. But, but for the most part, yeah, people, it's just art. And yeah, yeah, yeah there's um, always going to be a few outliers. But even in even in hip hop, the amount of them who are now children's TV actors. Or oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Films. Well, and Snoop think... Snoop coaches a football team. You know, he's, yeah, he's, yeah. Shit, Tupac was an answer. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> but even um, 
you know, Ice Ice Tea and Ice Ice Cube are both, you know, actors in stuff that's for kids now. And you <laughs> family think, like, movies. Yeah. The classic the classic joke about Ice Tea is the guy who wrote Cop Killer now plays a cop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Constantly on TV, every role he's a cop. He's a cop. Yeah. Now. You know, the guy that played that saying "fuck the police" has played a cop. <laughs> yeah. You know, in in two movies with Kevin Hart. So like, <laughs> uh, it's funny. Um, yeah, yeah, you know, there's thing, not not every not every, but then you got people like Red Man who like still you know lives in the projects and and uh, probably like works at Pizza Hut in his off time. <laughs> yeah, kept it pretty legit. Yeah, it's funny. Iron Maiden always make me laugh though, because Bruce oh, yeah. Dickinson is like the nicest man. Right. You know, he's, He's a he's an airplane pilot. He's a fencing champion, and he writes children's books. <laughs> and then in the '80s, they were like, "He's he's Satan himself. He's going to yeah. cause a load of upset. Look at what he's doing." The the things in the '80s and '90s that um, like my parents thought were satanic. It was like the end of the world. It's like today, it's dad rock. It's so tame. Yeah. My yeah. mom and dad. My mom was so worried about Metallica. <laughs> and like i was listening i was literally listening to music where people were talking about murdering each other and shooting each other in the streets and she's just like i don't know that inner sandman that is uh <laughs> yeah, that's, that's, the one. that's scary shit i'm like yeah you're probably right mom yeah absolutely i've i've got every west coast i've got spice one albums here in my room yeah. it's just like flat out talking about drug dealing and murdering and you're worried <laughs> about sad but true yeah <laughs> It's so funny, man, because I, I was, I don't know whether I'm lucky or not, but I was raised in a real atheist household. We never had any religion at home at all. It was just not something that we had. And it's quite common in a lot of British families because we've only really got Church of England, which is easily the most lax of all the versions of Christianity. Uh, there's absolutely no real uh, fire and brimstone in it. And it was only set up by Henry VIII because he wanted to get divorced. So he didn't really bother yep. mm -hmm. setting up all the rules properly. So even people who do have a Christian background, it's very rare to meet people who take it as seriously as the Americans, you know. Oh, it's a, and I live, I mean, you know, I live in the town. If oh, people who are listening it, yeah. to this that don't know, I live, if you Google world's largest cross, um, it is here. It is literally, yeah. or at least America's biggest cross. I don't know if it's in drive, the world, but yeah, you drive past it, don't you? Driving into the town, it's, and it's, it's a yeah. cool thing. I mean, it that's a awesome precedent. Thing. It sets yeah. a precedent. That's for sure. You get there, and you're like, oh, okay, here yeah. we are. Fair but enough. I, yeah, South checking in. I got Baptist churches every two blocks back home. Yeah. Well, I only ever encountered the the super religious thing like once. One of my school friends, his dad was the local vicar, and I went. I went round his house one one afternoon after school, and I bought a copy of Hero Quest with me, which was like a Dungeons mm -hmm. and Dragons based board game because yes. it was my favourite thing in the world. And I put that on the table because they said bring a game and we'll play it after Ooh. dinner. And I put that on the table, and his dad was like, oh, "What's this? <laughs> Why have you brought this?" And then his son had to talk to his dad he said no it's not bad and it's not satanic because we're killing the demons we're the we're purging the demons you know we're the good guys in this setup but he didn't like that the wizard could do magic <laughs> oh no i grew up in this household you're talking about just so you know like that is the house i grew up in i was i was so 
The fear was put into me of Dungeons and Dragons from a young age. I thought that these were books of spells and incantations. And, <laughs> and then the bringing the dark magic in our home would doom our family for generations. And then when I was in seventh grade, I was at Eastern Illinois University at percussion camp. And my buddy brought out Dungeons and Dragons books. And I was like, this is the most fun shit I've ever done. What, like... <laughs> I don't care if Satan himself shows up. If he can, if he, if he's a good dungeon master, let's do it. So, yeah. You're right. Well, that's how they get you, isn't it? You know. <laughs> I don't know if you remember this, but there was a thing back there in like in the late '80s, early '90s that swept through America that was called Focus on the Family, hmm. and it was ran by a reverend by the name of Dr. James Dobson. And this has been twenty some years, and I was a child, and I was inundated with that shit so much that on a podcast I can pull it out of the back of my fucking brain just like that. But my mom went to these things where they were like, you know, burning CDs and like oh, going God. through and like, and like this band, you don't let the, not this, this, this TV show, this movie, like it was crazy militant shit. Mm. And as George Carlin said, I was religious to the age of reason. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing is as well, those, those guys burning those CDs, burning those books, all they did was encourage young, impressionable people to read the things they were oh, burning. Oh, yeah. Those were the Just coolest them CDs. Cool. Yeah. Like, I'd, I'd yeah. pause that shit and be like, what CDs is he burning? I'm like, I want to make sure I go get those. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> go and pick them all up. Yeah. It's funny. It's, you know, because every kid wants to rebel against their parents, don't they? Right. In a better way than if you've mm -hmm. seen how much they hate that particular album or. Mm -hmm. but, and the more the parents say you can't see this you can't listen to this the more the kids are going to go well i really now want to go and well, see especially if you're that. tying magic into it you know if you're yeah. like some otherworldly thing hates this thing well that's fucking cool man exactly. I, gotta, I gotta know what that is what they should say to the kids is only the boys with the smallest penises like this particular music <laughs> yes yeah, exactly <laughs> and then all of a sudden none of the none of the teenage boys are going to want to listen to it <laughs> I'm just going to start telling my kid that I love the stuff that he likes that sucks. So I'm just like, you know what? I, you're right. Imagine Dragons is the shit. These guys are – I'm getting an Imagine Dragons shirt. Like, immediately he'll stop listening to that stuff. Like, uh, what, what? I got the shirt. Isn't it cool? I thought it was cool. I love Imagine Dragons so much. Yeah, they're the best. I mean, at four years old, you're allowed to listen to whatever shit. But yeah. Like, you, yeah. You get a pass if you're four, yeah. I think. Yeah, and it was in a Wreck-It Ralph movie. So, like, I can't – like I said, he gets yeah. everything from there. So I yeah, can't, I can't slide him on that. But there'll be a day when it gets deleted from the playlist. You know, like when you come to an age where it's like, son, you're eight. And Imagine Dragons has to go by the wayside. You're now too old for this music. Yeah. When I was a child, <laughs> so yeah. I, when I was a child, I had the heart of a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. And that is the day today. Okay. Yeah. Anyway, um, to, to divert, since we are kind of getting long on time, I, I do want to make sure we hit the day which is star wars day and yeah. and uh, definitely touch base on on star wars in general so uh sam did you what did you think of the new trilogy um my controversial opinion on the new trilogy is that i think they are excellent um, nice. oh okay so i'm yeah, with you you and ian yeah. are in, in accord there yeah uh-huh I really feel like um, people went to watch those new movies completely forgetting that they're movies for children. Yep. <laughs> um, I think how people approach their criticism of those films is completely invalid. <laughs> I, I went to a, I love the, I love going to see them very early on day one. If I can get to the midnight mm. screening, 
then I, I'll go see that. And my judge of whether or not it's good is who's in the crowd. If it's a load of kids and they're having a whale of a time, which every single one of those films was that, you know, then I say these films have completely succeeded in, you know, uh, pleasing their target audience. If, if the kids love this, then I'm on board because then they're going to love it for years and years and years and years. Um, the funniest thing happened with the first one of the new trilogy. I'm sure I could do spoilers on here. I think everyone's Oh, yeah. Start. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I had a kid sitting in front of me with his mum, and he was very young. And there's a bit in the first set of the new ones where Han Solo's on his ship. I think he's being menaced by, like, this big um, octopus monster that's yeah. in the ship. Mm-hmm. Yeah, cars. Yeah. Yes. And the mum, uh, he was really worried. He was going, Mum, I'm really worried for Han Solo. Is he going to be all right? And his mum turned to him and just said, Son... Han Solo is one of the main characters of this film. There's absolutely no way anything bad is going to happen to him. <laughs> and then, of course, oh, at the no. end of the movie, he gets stabbed to death by a stud <laughs> and thrown off a bridge. And this little kid just was, like, heartbroken, you know, because not only had his favourite film character been murdered, but his mum had lied to him. <laughs> He's, it, that's something he will carry for, forever. He will never yeah, trust his mother fully again. Exactly. And, and that's the importance of Star Wars right there. That's, that's it. He learned some real serious life You said! You said! You said! You yeah. said it'd be fine! Well, it's a tragedy, boy. Get over it. <laughs> He's going to be 22 in his mom's living room yelling at him. Be like, yeah, then you told me you fucking lied when I was seven <laughs> and said the Han Solo was going to live and I've known you were full of shit ever since then. <laughs> yeah, I, I think they're rather gorgeous, fun kids' movies. I mean, I would I would have slowed the pacing a wee bit, but other than yeah. that, I was on board, man. I was on board. And I think who- that they are really not good and I watch them all the time. I don't understand. I don't understand what's going on with me. I I I don't think they're. Well, like, I don't think they're that great. I watch them probably once a week. I don't know what is going on. <laughs> well, the, the big thing I keep sitting on is that like when we're talking about Star Wars as films, if you really want to break them down as movies, there's like two and a half that are good, yeah. maybe three that are really good films. But sure. if we're looking at them like as fun entertainment with an incredible world. I'm obsessed with every tiny detail of that shit. It's all fun. It's all ridiculous. There's cool people. It's a soap opera in space. It's the only thing we have like that, I think, really. You know? Yeah. I've realized for me the reason why I, I don't have a lot of great things to say about the prequels and the sequels um, is that I'm just narrow-minded and I want my Star Wars to be when it's the Empire versus Rebels. <laughs> so, like, I'm cool with the original trilogy. Throw me Rogue One. Give me the Mandalorian and the rest of it. I'll watch it and, and just tell you that I don't like it as I watch it. I don't know why. Yeah. I, but, I I, but I still love Star Wars so much that I'll fucking watch it, you know? Yeah. <laughs> I, I think it's perfectly fair for people not to enjoy the new movies. I really do. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah. I think it's like people... Because in Britain, Doctor Who's a big thing. Oh, yeah. Like all of the... All of the old school Doctor Who fans, they hate the last two seasons. Oh, I'm sure. They cannot stand them. But the kids who watch these things, it's more popular with them than it's ever been. Mm. And and, and as I'm always saying, like, if you like this thing and you want this thing to continue, it's really important that it doesn't just become the vanguard of guys in their mid-30s and (laughs) mid-40s because it just disappears away, you know. And I think the thing that Star Wars has taken, especially from the comic book world, is like Mm -hmm. Marvel Comics know how to reset their characters every six Mm -hmm. or seven years to keep the young people interested. And because of that, everyone loves it, you know. Um, DC weren't as good at it, and I think that's why why it's not worked. I I agree. 
I think if you look at who Marvel base their kids, their films for, they're still for kids. Mm-hmm. They've mm-hmm. got a lot of stuff for the older audiences, but they're for kids. The reason the DC movies don't work is because they're trying to please the 45-year-old fanboy. Mm-hmm. Which and is it, not going to be pleasable no matter how good your thing is, Well, to that's be exactly it, because nothing, nothing you can make is ever as good as the imaginings of a mm-hmm. man who saw that film when he was 12 and has had 30 years to... to Absolutely. Decide. You guys have no idea how attacked I feel right now. I am reeling here. I am, I am I'm holding myself up on my countertop because I feel like I'm about to pass out because I'm so, I'm so pointedly attacked at this moment. I, the thing is, I love, I love children's entertainment. It's actually one of oh, my dream. Same. A dream job would be to work in kids' entertainment because I same think here. it's so good and so important. And I think it's, as I said, I, I think it's great that people love stuff the way they do. You know, mm-hmm. I know so many people who've got Star Wars tattoos, for example, and mm-hmm. like they've read every, you know, every auxiliary book. I mean, for my entire teenage life, I was obsessed with, I had this huge like encyclopedia with lists of all the characters and stuff. And I think it's really cool, you know, and it's really nice. Um, but I think, as I said, it's, it's understanding like, it's got to be cool for the next generation, basically. Mm. Otherwise, it is going to die. And yeah. I the, the, especially the very last Star Wars film, I, I loved so many elements of that movie. And I came out of that really up. I was really like, wow, I think that's one of the best ones. And then of the new trilogy. Mm. And then I looked at all the reviews and they seem to have the almost opposite view to me, you know. And yes, they had to make some ridiculous leaps in the storytelling, right? Mm -hmm. So she's related to Palpatine. There'd been no hint of that before. But look at any of look at any of the original trilogy, you know, like (laughs) if they'd have come out now, the way that people would talk about them, I'm sure they'd rip them to shit. But it's because you know, in 1980, there were only two critics. Yeah. Well, I mean, even Empire actually did. It was just Siskel and Ebert. That was, it was well, like, yeah, Empire got its ass ripped open by oh, critics sure. when it came out because it was it was so dark and weird, but also like the the, the father thing came out of left field for a lot of people because that wasn't originally part of the plan. Right. You know, so I mean, it's, it's my issue isn't that my issue, and now I'm we're, we're gonna hear the other side. Yeah, yeah. Oh, my, my, my issue is stuff like we fell into this quicksand, and it just happens to lead us to the one thing in the universe that yeah. will take us to the next spot. Yep. Or, or um, these two have been fighting for three movies, and we're somehow supposed to believe a romantic connection between the two of them and care about that at the end of the movie. I mean, it's little stuff like that that I didn't like, but for the most part, like. Like the whole beginning in the Sith Temple and stuff like that. It's just mm-hmm. so badass. It's and that like, shootout down the corridor in the Star Destroyer is so yes. fucking rad. It's that single shot following the guys. It's so cool. It's the, a beautiful uh, movie. The uh, I love I love the scene whenever uh, I think we talked about this maybe in the last episode, but like uh, yeah, we did. But like I love whenever the, whenever Ray swaps that lightsaber to Kylo and he and he has it behind his back and he kind of does that shoulder shrug, does the Han like, shrug. and he does yeah. the Han shrug I love stuff like that there is yeah. a lot of great stuff to it I love that you can see like uh I just I mean there's a lot of very I love I love the uh the throne room fight in Last Jedi yeah yeah I, I, I liked the a best. lot of the last jedi i really did that's my favorite of the the trilogy the new trilogy personally i thought especially using the using the uh using the ship as like a giant bullet i thought Mm. i thought that was brilliant yeah because it it, the problem with that is it it makes it really hard for other people who have to make things after it because it's like now we know you can just use a ship going into hyperdrive as like a a weapon right why don't they do it 
24-7. Why don't they just use... Get a well, it's like suicide run, ships. but yeah, I mean, I guess you can have a droid how on great, there. But. How great would it have been at the end of fucking Revenge of... Or the Revenge of the last movie if... That's good. All those people show up at the very end with Lando, and they immediately just, just bump yeah. through the entire fleet, <laughs> well, and just they all suicide bomb the fleet, and it's over. It's like, wait, 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 no, we, were, we had a plan. <laughs> the um, <laughs> the biggest plot hole for me, I've got to say, is actually in episode seven. Uh, I I got. And I try not to do it, but I got annoyed in the cinema. When she flies to the new Death Star, which is the size of a planet, <laughs> right? she parks her ship, she gets out of the ship, and there's her friends wandering past in that same hallway she's landed in. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, this is the size of Earth. <laughs> That's literally like me randomly landing literally anywhere on Earth, and then my best mate being in the room next door. <laughs> All right, how are you? <laughs> and I just thought, because, you know, because as I said, I try not to let this stuff wind me up because I yeah. am like, it's pretend. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and in Star Wars, you've always got the get out of it's the force. Right. Right. She, right. Had, a, she yep. had a vague feel that that's where she was supposed to land. And that just happens <laughs> to be where they were. But that seemed to me the biggest plot hole of all of the, all of the new ones. And I've not seen many people pull it up as something that's an issue that's a good one yeah there's a <laughs> yeah. lot there's a lot of we just happen to happen to be in the right place at the right time maybe yeah, there's just one know? dock on it you know they walk up to the, the death star hey, like it's horribly mismanaged i'm not saying that the first order know what they're doing i mean hux <laughs> is in charge so <laughs> when when they show up to the crash death star they just happen to walk up at the exact same that's angle, angle where yeah. that yeah. knife is going to show them the way they just she's just happens to be there's no there's no Which, rocks like on said, the ground you could just make a guess it. that it's in palpatine's area of the death star and be done with it you know like yeah, you really right. didn't need that macguffin but exactly you know. it's in the throne room where he yeah was. <laughs> oh, next to his crazy seat where the final battle occurred? Who would have believed that? There's <laughs> another thing. is just like, why we just now hear about Sith, Sith Wayfinders so we can have this movie. Like, yeah. like, it's like he just sat in his bathtub. JJ did one. I was okay, like, how do we That did get bother this? me because holocrons already exist. That did kind of tear me up a little bit because we already have holocrons. It's already a yeah. thing. Yeah, we didn't need a Sith Wayfinder. That's not something that we need well, to come it's up a, with. Well, the, the thing is, it's, it's a, it, I know why that's in there. It's a, left, it's a leftover artifact of the original script. It was mm -hmm. actually a bigger, it was a bigger thing. It was kind yeah. of a, a main thing, you know. So the bit with the knife, the bit with the Wayfinder, they felt very auxiliary in the version we got, but they yeah. were much more important. They Absolutely. were the main things in the original script. I think yeah. Trevero had a lot of very interesting things in the original. Yeah, yeah there, there's a really good video uh, where they've done like a claymation version of what the original yeah. script they've written no was going to look that. like. It's very delightful, yeah. Yeah, it's really, really nice. It kind of shows you, because it was a much less action-packed script originally. It was mm -hmm. going to be a very, you know, it was going to be much more, it was going to be like an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. Um, and they kind of went, nah, let's just throw everything at the wall here. Let's really yeah, make yeah. it as... Speaking of Indiana Jones, with everything that's happened with like with Marvel and uh, Jurassic World, do you think Chris Pratt could still play in the, like do a new Indiana Jones? Um, I think so. I think or is it too much like Star Lord? Is it too much of the same character? I think there's some stuff they should just leave be. I think that, mm. I, right. I, I I did a bit for years. I do a bit in my stand up about the best film trilogy of all time, and I, I used to argue it was Toy Story. <laughs> nice. And the problem is. We now have four Toy Story movies, and yep. they're going to do another two. <laughs> yep. You know, oh, really? so 
I'm going to say something really controversial right now. Toy Story 4 is the best one. <gasps> I think oh, it's yeah. really good. Let me, let me, let me, let me, Toy let me Story talk 2 you through it. is the best me, film ever let me, made. Let me talk you through it. Toy Story 2 is the worst one. Um, <laughs> Toy, <laughs> Toy Story 1 is a classic and great, but you have to wait through most of the movie before Woody and Buzz are friends. It's, it's, I, I, at this point, like, I've watched the movie so long that I don't want to go back to them not being friends. So I, the rewatch value is gone for me. Because I don't want to see them at odds. I don't want to have to see him figuring out that he's a toy again and stuff. Like, I like Woody and Buzz, fucking toys oh, at large. Here we are. <laughs> so uh, Toy Story 3 is tremendous. And I thought at the, you know, when it came out, I, I, was, I was like, this is the great ending to this trilogy. This is a perfect mm-hmm. story. Mm-hmm. Um, and then they announced Toy Story 4. And I was like, why the fuck are you doing this? Uh, we already have a perfect story that ends with Bonnie getting these toys. Yeah, well- um, but the... To me, and this, I mean, I could get real deep on this because I've had this conversation a lot for some reason, but like, <laughs> to me, Toy Story 4, and I know obviously we take things that we, that we media and we apply them to our own lives, but like, Toy Story 4 is about a divorce. Yes. And it's about finding yourself after that. And like the end, whenever he's just like, is Woody a lost toy? And he's like, no, he's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Like, and, and the, the Stapleton song, Lonesome Cowboy. I, I love it. I fucking love it. And my kid also is, is in love with Forky. So like we have Forky fucking everything around. All house. right. Um, my- but I, I really, really, really do love Toy Story 4. I, I, I'm afraid I, I didn't like Toy Story 4. And my biggest problem with Toy Story 4 is that it is, in my opinion, just average. And that's the, that's the, the biggest crime it could commit is mm. not being as good it's tearing me up, Toy Sam. Story 3. I know. I'm going to put it there. I feel like I'm just in the way on this episode. <laughs> I mean, you did make two gingers come together for a conversation. That's so it's right, kind of on yeah. you. Oh. <laughs> Did it not bug you though? Hey, let me get out of the way so you two can talk Red Dwarf, okay? Because I'm sure Sam is also a fan of that. So uh, I'll just I'll just go over here and make a, an omelet or something. Uh, it's good to it's good to have a difference of opinion, isn't it? No, um, <laughs> yeah. I think um, my biggest problem with Toy Story Four is how readily those toys break the rules. The yeah. bit that the mm-hmm. bit that upset me the most is when they're in the they're in the RV, they're about to drive off. And they jump out the window and put a nail in the wheel. Now this, for me, this is like you've broken the main rule of being a toy there. Like the, the whole thing about Toy Story is that the, the peril comes from the fact that they're completely helpless. They can't ever stop what happens to them. If they get taken to school and lost or if they get moved, they're gone forever. So the idea that they would forcibly interject on what the humans were doing, just for me, opened this huge, like horrible... Train of thought where, like, what if there are toys who never follow the rules and then they murder people? Or they, and I was like, You've broken one of the the fundamental rules of this setup by doing that, you know. Oh my god, is the new child's play part of the Toy Story series? Well, there you go, that's it. (laughs) They're creating a universe. (laughs) Oh my god, TS5 Judgment Day, (laughs) toys take over. (laughs) And small soldiers somehow get incorporated as well. I, That's I'm down right. for this, actually. And if those toys can pop your tires, there's nothing to stop them putting the, uh, you know, the nail in the windpipe of a person who's trying to steal them. Mm. What was that old Nickelodeon show about the, to- the, fi- the action figures that were... Oh, super- my God. Kablam! was the general show. And uh, they were the... Oh, fuck. We could, they, could, they could come back. This, yeah. I mean, it would definitely be better than The Happening. <laughs> yeah, it's true. The toys become self-aware. play? I did. Yeah, I did too. Yeah, I, I just watched it this week, and uh, I'm a huge horror movie buff. And Same. 
I really thought there was good, good and bad in that movie. I thought it was more bad than good in my yeah. opinion. Yeah. I really hated that at the beginning they just had them set the doll to evil, like in that yeah, episode. It's like, so ridiculous. <laughs> like, it is lifted is right out of the Simpsons. That is yeah. hilarious. Like, why is he bad? Oh, because he's just set it to bad. Yeah. <laughs> he's just set to evil. <laughs> like, what happened to the murderer that put his soul into a toy? Like, that was well, kind exactly. of the whole basis yeah. of this thing. And she's like, nope, just a factory worker was like, mm, evil, click. Evil. I set him to evil and then I'll jump out this window. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> Like who, is, who made the evil switches? Like why did they? Why did the evil <laughs> yeah, switches even? Is that even toggled yeah, in there? Yeah. Who was who was sitting in that board meeting? Was just like, well, we definitely want to make sure that there's an a, an option to make them evil. Like, yeah. yes, absolutely, Troy. Let's make sure we do that. <laughs> Take a note of that evil switch. Make sure <laughs> evil, evil switch. Yes. Because bad kids don't want a good doll. That he's right. He's right. Bad kids yeah. want a bad doll. Let's make yep. it so it burns houses down. <laughs> Because <laughs> once again, that just means that a terrorist or someone could get hold of one of those. Yeah, just reprogram it. Chip into his computer and just set it to murder people. <laughs> just he could just he could just like sit outside of a, a a Target before they open and go inside and or and buy the stock of dolls and go home and make <laughs> and make a murder army of dolls. Well, <laughs> shit! You think just one employee is angry in a sweatshop? I mean, exactly right. <laughs> there's a bunch of dudes flipping evil switch in the back room of that place. Now, see, this is a great idea for child's play too, and entire factory full of child's play chucky dolls get loose and it's actually like a super socialist story if you had a union this wouldn't <laughs> yeah. have happened yep power back yeah. yep we wouldn't have this problem if we had just treated the employees good from the beginning <laughs> I, there was two bits in that that i just thought that's ridiculous uh the obviously that bit was stupid but <laughs> The, the idea as well, it, Child's Play, I love the idea that they don't know for sure it's Chucky that's done it. And that's kind of the thing. They think yeah. the kids, they think that mm -hmm. teenage, you know, the babysitter's gone mad, which is obviously logically what you'd do. But then every murdered body in that that's supposed to have been in an accident then has a knife stuck in him. <laughs> as if to say, yep, I've definitely done a murder. <laughs> so many people keep accidentally falling on knives around here. I don't it's know. crazy race. You know, because every person who dies, it looks like it could have been an accident until Chucky comes up and then stabs <laughs> them an additional him. five yeah. times. You know. He's got to throw in a few extra stabs at that point. Yeah. It's like, like, but, uh, the I feel like they cut away well, from a lot of the murders and stuff. It, it seemed a little tame at parts, I thought. Yeah, and the, the, the bit where they're in the, the toy store and then the all of the... Um, all of the drones kind of come alive mm. and start attacking people. You could not sell a drone in a toy store that had fucking razor blades. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the idea, that. the idea that they're in the toy store and then this toy that has got spinning blades has cut them to shreds. I'm like, you would never be able to sell that. Like, can you imagine like my kid walking up to me in his toy store with a box? He's like, dad, dad, can I get this? Can I get this murder <laughs> drone? It's got it comes with replaceable razor blades. <laughs> You get three sets. Yeah, put it in the cart, bud. Let's go do that. We'll trim the trees with it. <laughs> so yeah, there was a lot of there was a lot of real leaps of faith needed to to be able to enjoy that one. I think. But, Sam, did you happen to see the uh, Invisible Man? I haven't yet. I'm quite keen to see it. Yeah, it's it's very very interesting, and it does the same kind of thing where it's like, is this guy attacking her? Or is she crazy? Oh, right, yeah. It very much plays on that. But I will say that the opening scene is like one of the, like, it's like 15 minutes of the most tense film watching I've seen in years. Like, I was sitting like, like oh, oh. <laughs> like, uh, have you seen Chernobyl? Yeah, love it. Very, very much like the end of that second 
uh, episode of Chernobyl when they're underneath the reactor and like your balls are up inside your stomach because oh, that, no. because the uh, Geiger counter is going off and the flashlight keeps shutting off. And you're like, oh God, what's happening? <laughs> it was very much like that. I, 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 but strangely enough, I guess you guys, I probably saw how AMC theaters is dropping universal movies because yeah. of the scrolls. Yeah. 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 That's insanity. Like, like that's 600. And now, and then Regal. I don't theaters. think it's legal. How how is it not though? It's it's their. Business. I can't remember. I actually listened to a podcast about this last night, but uh, it's like almost ten o'clock in the in the p.m. for me, so I'm losing my mind slowly. Uh, but yeah, it was something about like there's there's contract deals where they can't actually shut out a whole company. Okay. Uh, but I can't remember exactly what the the loopholes were. But all it because seems of trolls like too. Yeah. Of all things, there. But I get it. I mean, like, if they would have delayed that, that would have been like a comeback movie for theaters. Well, and it's only a piece of trolls too. Universal says they want to do this with every movie from now on, doing yeah. a limited theatrical oh. release, but everything is going to be going to digital now. Mm, yeah. So they're basically saying, well, anything you want in theaters isn't going to come to ours now. Well, no. I mean, I mean, there's as a consumer, I kind of have mixed feelings about that because I don't know, and Ian knows very much. We've talked about this. How much I go to the movies all the time. Me too, um, yeah. All the time. But I don't know when I'm going to do that again. I don't know when I'm going to feel comfortable doing that mm-hmm. again. Mm-hmm. So, like, I, as, as a movie fan, I would like to get some of this stuff. I, w- I wish that we had Black Widow right now. Yeah. yeah. I, w- I would pay a lot of money to make it worth their while to get Black Widow. Personally. Like, I, like I, would, pay mo- I would pay the – I'd pay 30 bucks to rent that son of a bitch if I could watch Black Widow right Say now. Say that out loud. I will bucks. pay it. I will pay thirty. Bucks. I have not had a Marvel movie in almost a year. Goddamn! <laughs> I'm losing my mind here. I don't know. I, I, I'm just rewatching all of my sister and all the Netflix shows, and it's just gone. Do we even care about it anymore? Do we even care about Marvel? I don't know. I mean, I, I, I really hope that the cinema survive because I'm a huge fan of going to the movies. And mm-hmm. for me, I think what they should do is start advertising it as like this is where you can go to truly enjoy a film because my sure. problem with watching stuff at home is that you've always got your phone if you're sitting in your lounge or whatever mm-hmm. even if you've got a nice big tv good sound system there's always the distraction you know it's mm-hmm. easy to look at so the, the reason i love cinema so much is is more for the immersion in it you're not allowed mm-hmm. to look at your phone mm-hmm. it's pitch black there's none of your other stuff there you just enjoy the film and i I think, you know, cinemas were like the music industry in that they got very greedy with their prices and everything, mm-hmm. you know. So hopefully, if they are going to do this video on demand thing, I mean, I'd still rather go and see a new film in the cinema if I have the choice. I would too. I right, would too. same. And I think that um, if the cinemas can then make the pricing a little bit better, you know, then I think they'll, they'll still be able to compete with, with the video at home stuff, hopefully. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, to me, it's the whole experience. I love walking, yeah. in, getting my ticket, and going to the concession stand. And the I, mean, I, popcorn, I, I worked shit. at the movie theater here in town when I was in high school. I, I, and I, I mean, I, I worked in the movie store here in town. Like, I, I, I love film. Like, and I, yeah. I want. I don't want to lose movie theaters. That's for sure. No, oh, definitely um, not. But like, I and so I understand that like, trolls would have because there's no kids movie coming back. Mm-hmm. We have we have Tenet. We have we eventually have Mulan, but Mulan's not an animated film, and there's mm. there's a certain age break in kids who who go to the movies and spend a lot of money mm-hmm. that one animated film. So I can I can there's a certain part of me that understands that AMC is pissed off about that, but like, yeah. 
Well, I imagine, like, I know that you said, like, you, you really like films, so you go to the movies, but I know that, like, a lot of families, I'm sure, aren't going to try to shell out a hundred bucks for five people to wrangle up the kids to get, in, uh, you right. know, and even though they are popular, the people are getting less and less interested in that, and now that they're getting a taste of the new movie at home, it's right. going to be hard for a lot of the average families who don't really care about the theater experience to go back, but that means that theaters can then cater to people, like Sam's saying, more to those of us who enjoy the film experience because of yeah. what it is. Also, I think if it would then mean that you'll get, so we've only got one cinema really in central London that does like legacy movie screenings. We've mm. got this mm -hmm. Prince Charles that does, um, and they do big events around the thing, you know. So for example, they show the room about once every six months, but then they actually get Tommy Wiseau over from America to come and be nice. in the crowd. They do he, he's not busy. He has time for that. <laughs> <laughs> I saw the, uh, the Tim and Eric, movie there and they oh, had nice. Tim and Eric oh come, very cool That's which awesome. was amazing because I'm a huge fan of them and I never thought they'd, they'd grace these shores but um you know I think what it will mean is the bigger theaters will start doing these event screenings maybe you could have something like back to the future you know get the real classics back because uh, I think there, there'll be there's an audience for people who want to see those films in the cinema again you know mm. uh, they I, did, I agree they did a big Absolutely. Star Wars re-release just before um obviously the new ones came out and they showed the original trilogy and the prequels, you know, oh, back in the cinema and yeah. they were a huge success. People were, you know, people were rushing to go and watch those, you know, absolutely. And I think, um, I think, yeah, it, it's going to be like a lot of this stuff. It's going to be survival of the fittest. You've got to adapt how, how your business works, you mm -hmm. know, um, because times do change and, it's it's inevitable in a lot of senses that that businesses are going to suffer and businesses are going to be different you know yeah our theater in town uh small town we only have one little movie theater here in town but they uh we don't even have an imax but uh they <laughs> to survive right to, it's <laughs> the wasteland here um <laughs> they uh to, to try to stay viable they're doing like on friday and saturday nights they have a drive up where you can pull up and buy big bags of popcorn and theater candy and stuff like that and they're so they're trying to like make some kind of money and keeping yeah. people's keeping people's minds a little bit and remind remember hey if we do have a movie theater we we do want to serve you when we're, we're able to again yeah but yeah i mean it's something that that's one of the things that bothers me a lot you know something that we've we've also talked about in the past about you know like when when violent shit happens in movie theaters i hate that mm -hmm. like i like that to me is a safe place i love the movie theater and like yeah i really hope that out of like other businesses can fall apart as far as I'm concerned. I want the movie theater industry. To, I want movies. To, I want entertainment to be here. I want, I want to have music venues and I want to have yeah. uh, movie theaters, you know, and comedy clubs. And if, if other stuff goes by the wayside, that's fine. I said it. Yeah. I put, keep, sorry. I put it on the keep universe. Keep our live arts alive. Yeah, please. That's it. Well, please. I think it, come, it comes and goes in waves, doesn't it? Because I always use board games as a really interesting analogy for like how entertainment businesses can work. So, board games that died a death 10 to 15 years ago there wasn't mm -hmm. any board games but nowadays there's a huge influx of these brilliant new board games that everyone's buying everyone's playing and why is this it's because computer games stopped being something you could do with four people in a room mm -hmm. yep. yep yep and this the reason that everyone's into these board games now is that humans want to sit with their friends and yeah. enjoy Ian and I always used to say that if like the whole the way video games are set up now, if we want to play, it's like you want to play video games. Sure, okay, go home. Go home. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> fuck off home right now. Go, fuck off and go home. You, we we can't. We don't have. There's no couch co-op games anymore. No, there's just no, no, so it. little of that. 
and you know people people instinctively don't want to sit in their house 24 7 i mean this mm-hmm. this whole setup has really shown me that i don't want to sit in my house on my own 24 <laughs> 7 right so maybe a cinema is going to be a more bespoke thing it's not going to be something that everybody does every week but it mm-hmm. is going to be something that you'll do with your group of friends something that you couldn't have done you can't do sitting at home on your own you know? yeah and and also for dating like it's it's a bit of a yeah it's a really good it's such a bonding thing for couples like films and going to the cinema for sure it's a shared experience that's uh not ultra long or you know extra like sensory it's not overwhelming it's still a nice quiet not quiet but at least dark together sort of thing yeah it's a crowd but you're not lost in a crowd it's uh yeah definitely yeah, you guys have both been in long-term relationships let me tell you that uh, when you first start dating a woman they don't want to go sit in the dark they want to talk to you <laughs> just, just so you know well not in my experience i don't know what i'm doing wrong but <laughs> yeah i i i love no, i i do take dates to movies all the time yeah it's good because uh, if 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 they're not very interesting to talk to, you can then just sit in the dark and ignore them for an hour and a half. So bing, 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 bing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know, man. It's uh, it's interesting. I I think people have their movie like they have their song as well, and mm-hmm. that that sort of is is brought in by the experience of actually going to the cinema. You know. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing that we bring up all the time when we talked about even in the last episode about um, like a bigger company like Disney buying and and making go on all out. But any other example, just the idea of like making going to the movies an experience again, if you do have, like you say, sort of this bespoke idea, this like smaller group of people, only the ones passionate about film, then you can have theaters go all out more, make it an evening out to the movies as opposed to just let's go to the movies because it's a thing to do on the weekend you know it really would bring back that fervor for film i think yeah do you guys have secret cinema has that made it over to the states yet i don't know what that is oh mate uh, you would love this thing it's it's basically an immersive experience that ends with you watching the movie so for example they did star wars recently and they built the cantina bar and they, you go, before you watch the film, you go into the cantina bar and there's all these actors in film standard costumes and you kind of watch a interactive experience. So you're in the bar, but if you listen to the conversations being had by the characters, there's a story that's unfolding in the bar as you're there. And then it ends with you watching Star Wars. And as oh, well as shit. watching Star Wars, you also get like these big light and sound effects that they add in the theater while you're watching it. You Whoa. know, so you get kind of a 4D style movie experience with a physical experience before it. And they had, uh, and they've done a lot of the big, it's called Secret Cinema. They did Alien, which was apparently brilliant. Um, so you're actually like on the floor of the Nostromo. They'd recreated it. Oh, shit. And they had like um, a guy in an alien costume and all the lights <laughs> go out and then he drops down from the ceiling and all of this stuff. And then you watch alien at the end you know and there's still a guy running around in an alien suit while you're watching the movie and creeping under the seats that's, and that's stuff. the fucking greatest thing i've ever heard that's amazing now yeah, i will say like, that uh they did a thing in america called the rolling road show for a while where they took a portable drive-in movie theater mm-hmm. and they would show films where they were filmed so they like showed close encounters of the third kind at devil's tower and they nice. showed the goonies in Astoria or the sewer. Yes. And they showed clerks in a convenience store. Um, no, they showed a, a they showed a Christmas story like at that house in Ohio oh, where wow. they in the, in the awesome. backyard. Um they did Jaws in Martha's Vineyard. Mm-hmm. Um 
they did a bunch of those. And uh, Robert Rodriguez, it's he is overseas. That was his company. Yeah, that's right. It is his company. It had something to that. do with the Alamo Draft House. They were mm-hmm. they were involved in it. Yeah, it was Absolutely them, and, and cool. I can't remember what his production company is called, but yeah. Uh, I just want to say Bad Robot, and that's not what it is. Nope. But it's that's Bad something, Abrams. isn't it? I think I think you might be right. Yeah, I know um, his band is uh, Badasses, Changons or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But if you get the chance, boys, Secret Cinema, look it up. Yeah, I gotta, we got to see if there's something like that in the states because yeah that's such a great idea like you say like the immersion of that is so fucking rad like to get to hang out in the bar to be fucked yeah. with by the alien and then just go get to watch the movie is so great it's, it's, it's troublemaker studios troublemaker oh, troublemaker yeah. yeah there we go but it's uh it's called secret cinema because also they don't tell you where it's going to be Ooh. and they keep it like super secret and you don't really know what it's going to be what the experience is or even what the movie is sometimes Ooh, like a rave in the 90s yeah but the 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 press get really excited about trying to figure it out in advance you know oh, that's so fun. they did they did um back to the future and they had a whole fleet of deloreans in this <laughs> warehouse somewhere and they oh my god that's my dream car it was me too. It's like, it, but it was like national press. It was in, it was like on the news. Like we think we figured out what secret cinema is going to be. It's, it's a fleet of DeLoreans appeared. So That's it's excellent. probably back to the future. <laughs> it was cool, man. It was good fun. Yeah. Get everybody into it. I love that. Yeah. Really nice. Very cool. All right. Well, that's about it for us. Um, I do. I do have one last question, though. Do it. Do it. Because I was looking uh, at you doing the album of the day thing, the ten albums for ten days, and uh, number seven, Rush's Hemisphere, caught my attention because I love Rush. So, what's your uh, three favorite Rush albums you don't like? Oh, the Rush albums I don't like. Yeah, (laughs) I'm so fucking curious. I got to know. Controversial. (laughs) (laughs) It's Power Windows. Okay. Uh, Presto which I think is sadly their, their least good one. Yeah. And excluding the title track, Roll the Bones. Okay. Because Roll the Bones, I think, is one of the best songs they ever did. I love it. Right. But the it's rest of that track. album, I think, is really boring. <laughs> Fair <laughs> enough. Okay. I had to know. I was like, man, that's, that's so specific. Three Rush albums. Yeah. Excellent. I'm actually, we were actually doing a big Rush tribute concert that I was going to play drums at um, oh. just before the whole shutdown happened. I'd, oh, I'd, no. uh, I spent months learning an hour and a half's worth of rush oh my god and that is not easy shit <laughs> no it's really not i literally had to go into training like rocky to do it because oh i was god. so out of shape you know um there were and, russians yelling at him and yeah <laughs> i was carrying like bags of you know uh, stuff right on my shoulders and <laughs> boxing bits of meat to get ready to do the show and then of course we had to cancel the show which is really uh oh, frustrating We've rescheduled actually for the fourth of July, uh, wow. in American Independence Day. Nice. There hoping, you go. Well, hopefully, you guys will be free. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We're really hoping we're going to be able to do it. Um, are we keeping? Are we keeping Independence Day, or is that one of the ones we're going to replace? Like Independence Day, maybe Captain America Day. Yeah, that's that works for me. <laughs> that way, it stays patriotic. Yeah, Everyone yeah. still get an America Day, but like make everybody happy. Yeah, but it, it honors a real hero. You know, yeah. <laughs> I mean, he punched Hitler in the face. In the that's face. Exactly it. Yeah. That's America's ass. Um, <laughs> anyway, Sam, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, man, thank you. This is great. Um, this has oh, been, been great, pleasure, boys. Yeah, I've had a lovely um, time. We 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 hope to have you on again sometime. We'd love to. We'd love to talk to you again. You had a couple interesting things to say. <laughs> um, no, it was great. We really we really appreciate it. And uh, everybody, uh, go uh, tell everybody how to find you. 
Yeah, yeah uh, Facebook's the easiest way. Facebook.com forward slash Sam Rhodes CE, and it's Rhodes like the island. Um, Sam Rhodes Comedy Explosion. I've got my comedy special is available to view on a platform called Next Up, which is an international um, comedy. It's basically Netflix for comedy specials is what, is what it is. It's ran by the Taliban, isn't it? It is. It's run by the Taliban. <laughs> <laughs> They've got very good bandwidth. It should probably be a good, it's a they good stream. Have, they, yeah. is, they, they hate freedom, but they love comedy. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we will def- we'll link that up for sure on our page. Absolutely. If you go to Next Up Comedy, uh, if you use my code Americanorama, you can view my special, which I actually shot in Carbondale in America at the, uh, at the lovely big um, theater there. I, I so, went to college there. Yeah, it's a beautiful town. I love yeah. it. Lots yeah, of, I, cool I, hippie for, types for over sh- there. Yeah, it is. A, it is a hippie town. That is for sure. That and, I was into it, man. I yep, liked it. Yeah, there's a lot of white kids with dreadlocks in that area. Yeah. That's for sure. <laughs> Absolutely. And trust the place we can get one dollar beers in the bar. So yes, I like, I, yes. I, I found my spiritual home. <laughs> now, when I when I was in uh, in college, it was uh, quarter was it quarter beers and dollar pitchers. Wow. They would, yeah, they would do quarter mm. beers and dollar pitchers. And it was, it was it's a fun night. Yeah, it was a that lot is, of, pro, it was a lot no of, no laundry is getting done that night. So, no joke, Carbondale, <laughs> you can look this up. Carbondale, Illinois has, it used to be like Playboy would put out their top party schools every year. And it'd be like Florida State, Miami University, Carbondale. Wow. It was, yeah. in, it was, and they had to, it got so bad that in the 70s, they had to start closing the school over Halloween because that was like a really, really <laughs> bad weekend. <laughs> For partying and stuff, so they would do their fall break over Halloween. Um, when I was in school, that we would all the bars were in the same, the strip, you know, like where they had yeah. all the bars, and people would they would call it taking the strip, and all the bars would let out at three in the morning or whatever, and like the streets would fill, and by the end of it, it would be gas, you know, people getting shooting tear gas, and and the cops coming through with riot <laughs> gear. People would be if you left your car on the street, people would tip your like a van over. I saw people tip minivans wow. over and stuff. Um, so whenever I think I was a junior. I had left school there, but I was still in school. I just wasn't in school there. I went back and they opened up for Halloween again. Yeah. Like after 20 or 30 years, they're like, we, we can, it's been enough time. We, <laughs> can, we think we can, we can, we now, can yeah. do this. And like, they lit the strip on fire. There was, <laughs> I remember a dude over standing near me and I remember him like squatting down and taking his shirt off. I'm like, what's that guy doing? And he's lighting his shirt on fire. And he's, and it gets, he gets it going and he stands up and just throws it in the tree. That's ahead. That's like above. <laughs> and it's, it's October in Illinois. So like, it's just dry leaves everywhere. And that yeah. tree lights on fire and it tr- lights the tree next to it on fire. And like four trees are on fire in front of La Bamba's, the Mexican place. And yeah. then, then the guys started walking through with the riot gear. And, and <laughs> that's when you, that's when you cut. That's Party's what they call over. Yeah. When the people with riot gear show up in Carbondale, they call that last call. <laughs> <laughs> That's quality. I like that. Closing time, everyone. The, the right <laughs> cops with the clear giant shields are here. Head back to your dorms, you 19-year-old kids. <laughs> oh, it's a magical place. It's a very That's magical amazing. place. amazing. Yeah, I love it there. I'm certainly a fan. Anyway, so again, thanks, Sam. Um, we will, uh, we will we'll put everything up on our Facebook page to link to you so that our people can find you and Beautiful. check Sam out everywhere. Um, Maybe, maybe sometime he'll come back over here to this side of Hopefully the world. Hopefully so. I was, I was supposed to be heading your way in about two weeks, but uh, <laughs> obviously uh, not, no, not, no such luck, unfortunately. You could come to Missouri. The governor of Missouri said they can have <laughs> yeah, concerts we're open. starting we're Sunday. Open yeah. Now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's great. And all the people, all the venues in St. Louis are like, no, well, we're not we having no, thank you. <laughs> well, you know, the, yeah. the whole reason behind that is so they can open Branson. Yeah. yeah. 
basically. Yeah, St. Louis which, is which still is closed. Like, Branson is basically, I don't know if you know what Branson is, Sam, but it's, it's country music Las Vegas. Right, mm-hmm. I see, yeah. Yeah, it's, and it's mm-hmm. in Missouri, and, it's, and there's a theme park there that's like country music, Six Flags, really? that's called Silver Dollar City. Oh, mate, I'm going to have to go. When yeah, I'm, I'll tell you right now, you, yeah. come, you come here, I will go to Branson with you. Oh, yeah. <laughs> And Road we will, pick, we, we we will, Ian will go. It's, he's, yeah, yeah, we can yeah. pick him oh, up I'm on the on way. It. He's in yeah. St. Louis. We can pick him up. On, I would love to go back. I haven't been there since I was a little kid. And I would oh, love beautiful. to see it with adult eyes. <laughs> adult eyes that have a lot of chemicals running through their bloodstream yes. behind them, you know. You know, like Disneyland is the happiest place on earth. I bet that is the skeeziest place. <laughs> it is. Yes. It is. It's like you, like you might walk around a corner. Like they have, a, a, instead of Mickey Mouse, they have like a, uh, uh, Mary the Muskrat. I don't know who it is, but it's a, some kind an of overflowing it's, spittoon. It's, it's, yeah, <laughs> like you might walk into a the wrong corner and see one of the, you know, one of the mascots just smoking meth or something. It's just that it's that kind of place. It's like if if Joe Exotic had a had a Disney, Disney World, World type of place. Yeah. <laughs> oh, just something to close because I've had so much time. I've been working. I, I watched uh, obviously Tiger King because everyone <laughs> in the world has watched Tiger King. Yes. Um, I'm really into doing voices, uh, so I've, I've really been working on a Joe Exotic voice. Let's hear it. <laughs> so you got to get right up in the top bit there. That's kind of where he is all the time. That damn Carol Baskin getting in, ruining my theme park. I just want to shoot some tigers and fuck some cowboys. <laughs> that, that scene where he is doing that political commercial and he's like, I'm broke as shit when he's yelling about... <laughs> I'm gay. I'm broke as shit. Like he's like the man's I'm, honest. I'm, I'm writing him in. I'm not voting for Biden, so I'm definitely gonna write Joe Exotic in. I tell you right now, as crazy as a fucking circus as this place is right now, if right now people got behind getting Joe Exotic out of prison, oh, he's been he's a felon though. He can't run for president. Never mind. No, Damn no. it. I think people people well. would amend the constitution. People yeah. would. Oh, right. yeah, we I mean, love I mean, our celebrities like that. Yes, you know? we would do anything. <laughs> oh, could you have to be? Could you be a felon? Like, how far into politics can you get and be a felon? Like, that's how high we need to get Joe Exotic. <laughs> can you be a felon governor? We'll Comptroller? take Yeah. What, what is it? <laughs> <laughs> Overseeing streets and sewers. Who? Like, what can we? What can we do to get him up there? And then you know, wildlife preservation. If he became yes. president, oh yeah, in charge Abs- of the parks. Think how much that National would burn parks. Carol Baskin's ass. <laughs> if all of a sudden Joe got out of prison and became the czar of of tigers, just the czar of, specifically of of, tig- of big cat preserves. And at that point, he could just enforce his will on her every single day. That would be. <laughs> that's the America I want to live in. American dream. Yeah all right well thank you guys for listening yes. and um thanks again to sam for being on the show um we hope you've had a while of a time oh it's been awesome Excellent. this has been, been a great, great. episode yeah. um so uh we'll see you guys in two weeks we have uh folk musician jeremy t mcconaughey coming yeah. on um he is honestly my favorite musician in the area here he's he's very very awesome he wrote a lot of really good music and he's going to come on and talk about um brexit also <laughs> sweet uh, excellent so, uh, and mushy oh that's right month of brexit i forgot that was on our list yeah yeah <laughs> so uh so we look forward to having him on and uh you know we, we're really glad to be back and doing the show again after uh, yeah. our after our three and a half year hiatus <laughs> um I had to make some children folks i had to make some, I, I, I needed progeny um so anyway uh 
For Ian Maxwell, I'm Josh Custer. And for Josh Custer, I'm Ian Maxwell. Saying, enjoy Enjoy your your boils. Don't let them in too young behind. Let them in too young behind. They'll only show you true lies. Don't let them in too young behind. Don't let them in too young behind.